giants. He's messing with giants. And you know, the Old Testament was a prototype of New Testament living. That is, as they crossed the Jordan and went into the promised land, every city they took, they had to defeat giants. It's the same with us. Any advancement you make, any progress in the kingdom of God, there's almost always a giant you've got to face and defeat before going to the next level. And everybody in here has a giant somewhere in your life, a Goliath that taunts you, uh, challenges God in your life. Now, I'm not saying you haven't defeated them, but we all know what it is to have one. And more than likely, most of us in here are facing some kind of giant. Now, last week I started a series that we just called Disarming Your Giants. And we talked first about disarming the giant of anxiety. And boy, a lot of people got anxious about that one. But now today, I'm going to talk to you about what I believe is the most effective satanic weapon against the church. And that is the giant of offense. So let's read what Jesus said about the giant of offense. One verse in Matthew 18, verse 7. Listen to the words of Jesus. Woe to the world because of offenses. Woe because of offenses. For offenses must come. They're going to come. But woe to that man by whom the offense comes. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have equipped us, weaponized us with weapons that are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And Lord, we pray this day that you will put the weapon in our hand that we need to bring down the the giant of offense in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Now will you breathe a prayer, dear church, and say, Lord, speak to my heart today. I receive your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Tell your neighbor, watch out, you might get freed up today. (laughs) Now, The word offense that Jesus used comes from a Greek word, and you'll recognize this word, scandalon. Scandalon is the Greek word for offense. And the way I remember it, the way I like to look at it is, when you're offended, there's a scandal going on. Scandal on in your soul. There's a scandal going on. An offense scandalizes our faith. Now, let me just explain the way an offense works. We've all seen a mousetrap. You've got that little lever you pull back oh so gently and you attach it to where it doesn't snap back on your finger. And then there's that little metal mechanism that you put the cheese on. And you know that when the mouse comes up to nibble on that cheese and he tricks that little mechanism, pop! That mouse is in heaven. <laughs> now, the offense is the little metal mechanism in your soul. You get offended. And when you get offended, it triggers a trap that comes down on you. And it sets into motion a a, a cause and effect relationship that is negative. And I'm going to explain it more in just a moment. But when you get offended, you have come into a trap. If you don't know how to get out of that offense, it's going to trap you, snare you, and it's going to affect your whole Christian walk. That offense. Another good way to look at an offense is you're walking down the road 
and you're doing great. You, you've got your destination in mind. You're making good time, minding your own business, just walking down the road, looking straight ahead, and you don't see in the middle of the road there's a protrusion coming up in front of you out of the road that you don't see. And you're walking along, and suddenly you trip and you fall flat on your face because you didn't see that protrusion coming, and you fall. That's what an offense does. An offense catches us off guard. We don't see it coming. And when it happens to us, it happens so suddenly, and there's such an emotional impact with the offense that we stumble and we fall. It stops you on your journey when you're offended. And it depends on you as to how long it's going to remain. It becomes an impediment to your walk to your continuing on in the will and the purpose of God for your life, an offense. When you're really offended, when you've really been leveled with an offense, uh, it affects your prayer life. It affects your peace of mind. It affects your relationship with God. It affects your relationship with others. It is a paralyzer. It is a, it is a hindrance. It is a, listen, Jesus considered offenses so important that he gave several teachings on how to Avoid remaining offended because he knew what it could do to you. He knew the impact it would have on our spiritual life. Now, let me give you several ways that we can be offended. First of all, do you realize you can be offended with God? You can be offended with the gospel? Jesus said, blessed is he who is not offended in me. A lot of people hear the gospel. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes on him will not perish, but have everlasting life and the call to repent, and they are offended when they hear that the only way they're going to be saved is through Jesus Christ. When you say that to some people, they trip and they fall. The the trap springs because they don't like that. Something inside of them becomes offended. So you can be offended at the gospel, offended at Christ. He's called the stumbling stone and the rock of offense. An offense can be a temptation to sin. When somebody lures another person into sin, lures them into doing something they know is wrong, that person in the eyes of God is an offender, and the one who succumbs to the temptation is the offended. They have been made to trip and fall over alluring the the temptation to sin. That's why these people, we live in such a sin-saturated culture. Just take the pornography trade for a minute. All those people involved in that temptation, in tempting others to look, in tempting others to stumble into lust, every one of those people are going to answer to God for being offenders, offenders who lured others into sin. And a lot of times people that come into The trap that they set never come out. And so the original setter of the trap is going to answer to God. Jesus said, woe to the person who causes another person to sin. When Jesus speaks a woe over you, you need to say, woe. Okay? An offense can also be a hurt. Brought on by the words or the actions of another person. <clears throat> Somebody says something or, or, or does something and you are hurt. You are, it pains you. It wounds you. 
and you are offended. You are made to be angry. It, it, it uh, brings bitterness of soul when somebody hurts you, offends you. You know, all the time we hear in our culture, I'm offended. I'm offended. Our whole culture is offended. You hear it all the time. Now, sometimes I think they're taking it too seriously, but other times you really are offended. Somebody says something, does something, that might be in church, might be in your family, might be in your marriage, in your workplace, but somebody says something, does something, and you trip and you fall, and the trap springs because the trap is you are being flooded with negative emotions that you can't get out of. And it's interrupting your vertical relationship with God. Or an offense can cause a person to become jaded and skeptical about the reality of the Christian faith, such as the hypocritical lifestyle of a professing believer. You hear that all the time. There's all kinds of people that are not in church today throughout America because they saw somebody professing Christianity, but then not living the life. And if they were a young believer, they tripped and fell. They stumbled over what they saw. Now, I think sometimes to say, well, I'm not going to church because of all the hypocrites is hypocritical in itself. Like I said a couple of weeks ago, to say you're not going to go to church because of all the hypocrites is like saying you won't go to a gym because of all the out-of-shape people in there. Hey, everybody in here is out of shape. We all need to be more fit. So, but guess what? You're out of shape too. So come in here and help us. Let's all together get in shape spiritually. Okay? Jesus said, whoever shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him than a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. The little ones there, he's not talking necessarily about children, but he's talking about people young in the faith. So uh, the world tells us it's all about you. But Christianity tells us it's all about them. We live our lives not unto ourselves, but unto God and unto others. And you know what? That's where the greatest happiness comes from, not living for you. Selfish people are the most miserable people in all the world. That's free. That wasn't even in my notes. You can, you can just take that and run with it. But here's the deal. Whatever, whatever it is that causes the offense, the giant of offense comes stomping and thundering into your life. If it's not disarmed, it can literally dominate your whole life. You, you live as an offended person. I, I've known people. I've been pastoring 30 years. I've known people who, whose whole life was eaten up and consumed with an offense. They never got over whatever it was. They have no joy. They have produced no spiritual fruit. And when you talk to them, though the offense may have happened years before, it is the one thing, the only thing they talk about when you sit down with them in the first five minutes. The offense comes pouring out, and you think it happened last week until they let you in on the fact that it was 20 years ago. The man, they live with it. They die with it. They sleep with it. They, they live, eat, and breathe that offense. And it's, it's choked out their whole life. And I've also seen this. The way that a bitter, offended person can pollute others with their offense. This is where the verse comes in in Hebrews. Listen to this verse, Hebrews 12, 15. Watch this. This is so key. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. Let me stop right there. This is telling us that when you get offended, hurt, you're angry, you're bitter, you're seething, you're, you're really upset. 
an offense has happened to you, the grace of God is immediately extended to empower you to forgive. And the Bible says that you can come short of that grace. You can fail to respond to that grace. And when you fail to respond to it, here's what happens. A root of bitterness goes down. And eventually it springs up, causing trouble. How do you spell trouble? Offense. And many are defiled. See, when you and I get bitter, we never keep it to ourselves. It's not going to stay with you and me. He said, if you don't take care of the offense, right, when it happens and respond to the grace of God to empower you to forgive, then down are going to go the roots of bitterness. And as goes the root, so goes the fruit. If you have a root of bitterness, the fruit of bitterness is going to come out and it defiles many people and it causes trouble. So here we've got a person who has not received God's grace at the beginning of an offense to help them to forgive the offender because the grace is there. And grace is what empowers you to do the will of God. Here's what they do instead. If they resist the grace of God, they go through a pattern. Here's the pattern. First, they nurse the offense rather than letting it go. Just picture me holding a little baby right here. Here's my offense. And instead of forgiving and being freed of the offense, I nurse it. Bless God, I'm hurt, and bless God, I'm going to stay hurt. I'm not going to forgive. I'm going to hang on to this. I'm not going to let it go. Anyway, they don't deserve my forgiveness. Well, you know what? Neither do you deserve God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness comes by grace. Okay? So, so we say, they don't deserve my forgiveness, so I'm not going to let them off the hook, and I'm not going to forgive them, because if I forgive them, I'm letting them off the hook, and I'm not ready to do that. So every time I see them, instead of letting them off the hook, I'm going to give them the look. And you know what that look, it's daggers coming out. Uh-huh. They may not know about you, but I know all about you. I got your number, and I'm not about to forgive you because I'm going to punish you for what you did. But see, if you decide through revenge to dig a grave, you might as well dig two. Because when you take revenge on another to bury them, it's going to bury you. So they nurse it. They nurse it. They nurse, they nurse it. And then they rehearse it. They rehearse it. They got a loop going on in their mind. It's hit on rewind. And they go through the offense over and over again. They go through that offense several times a day. What he did, what she did, what they did, how you were wronged, how you were stabbed in the back, how you were betrayed, how you were lied to. And it just goes on a loop in our mind. It's looping. And you live it. It's in the theater of your mind. You're watching a movie every day. And it's the same movie, what they did, what they said, how they did it, how bad it was, how much you were hurt. Loop, 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 loop. And you know what you do when you nurse it and you rehearse it? You're eventually going to disperse it. You can't keep it inside. Finally, they disperse the offense by sharing it with others. And you know what they do when they share it with others? They're basically saying, I want you to take up my offense. I want you to pick it up with me. I want you to be offended with me because, you know, misery hates or loves company. Misery hates being alone. Misery always looks for company. So you want to gather around yourself a group of people who know how bad that person is right along with you. 
and who will be mad at them with you, and they pick up your offense. Let me ask you a question. If I was holding a skunk today, if I was holding a skunk, and he has not been deperfumed or whatever it is you do to them, he can still squirt you and still do that terrible thing that skunks do. And I came up to you and said, excuse me, I, I need to go talk to somebody. Would you hold this skunk for a minute? How many of you would say, oh, well, sure. No, you would say, no way, thank you, but no thank you. And yet, we take up the skunk of someone else's offense all the time. And you know what? It stinketh. And then we give it to somebody else and then to somebody else. Now, now the way this happens in a church, eventually you've got several people who have been brought into the, the original person's offense. And they have picked up the offense, and they're all holding the skunk, and they all sit together in one section. Now, I'm just using y'all as an example. The skunks always sit in the skunk section. They sit together in the skunked section. Because birds of a feather... So when you're all offended about something, you you tend to, to congregate... And sit in the same section. We might as well just put up a sign that says skunked section. Now over here, so that's the offended section. Then over here, you've got the offender. The offender has gone out. He has found out that the offended are sharing negative reports about them. So they begin to defend themselves and they gather around themselves. Defenders of the offender. And they get in this section. Now, I'm the preacher. I get up here and I look out and I see this section giving this section the look. This section looking back with the look. And people walk in here visiting the church and they say something is wrong because God's not moving. You know why? Because God doesn't move in the presence of an offense. God blesses unity. There he commands a blessing. When there's unity, you don't even have to pray for a blessing because God commands a blessing. You think this doesn't happen? Oh, that's why you need to preach on this at least once or twice a year. So the offended person nurses it, rehearses it, and then disperses it. And now you got it moving. And the same thing happens in a business. It happens among families and the in-laws. You can have families split. Now look what it says. Because of this, many, because of this one offended person, many become defiled affected, tainted, stained, skunked. I've seen so many Christians fall into this trap. They listen to the offended person without ever hearing the other side of the story. And if you counsel for more than a week, you realize quickly there's always another side. They listen to the offended person without ever hearing the other side of the story. Then they rush to judgment. The target of the evil report is tried and convicted in the court of public opinion without a fair trial. Happens all the time. Solomon warned about this. Listen to what Solomon said in Proverbs 18, 13. He who answers a matter before he hears the facts from both sides is a fool. It's a folly and a shame to him. If you answer a matter without hearing the other side, then it's a folly, it's shame, it's foolish, 
Because you're never going to be able to deal with the real situation until you hear both. But people in the church are judged, prosecuted, and ostracized all the time without a hearing. Solomon says, now watch this, he warns that the words of this offended person have lethal power. Proverbs 18, verse 8 says, The words of a talebearer are as wounds. They go down into the innermost parts of the belly. What a lot of folks don't realize is that your soul can be wounded like your body. You can have your soul cut. It can bleed. It can be bruised. And when we listen to an offended person and don't use wisdom, that's why I wish God had given us ear lids as well as eyelids. Because if you had ear lids, you could just close them. Eyelids, you can close your eyes and say, I shouldn't look at that. But ear lids, you got to walk away. But he's saying, when you listen to the words of an offended person, they are first ingested, you take them in, and then they are digested. They literally become a part of you what you heard. I was at a table one time with a group of well-known preachers. I was a little shot among big shots. That's the way I looked at it. That's why I didn't say much. These were well-known national people, and I was at the table. And so I was just listening to them. And and it was kind of neat. We were fellowshipping. And all of a sudden, one of these preachers popped off. And he said something very damaging about a preacher that had just so happened I listened to every Sunday. This was back a while back. I listened to every Sunday before I went off to church. And they got me up. They got me excited. They got, kind of got me stirred. And it was just a little shot in the arm I gave myself every Sunday before I went off to church listening to this one preacher. And it was about that preacher that this other preacher popped off <clears throat> and said something very negative. Well, you know, I went about my business and went through the day. And a few weeks later, I'm driving to church. And the Holy Spirit kind of eased up to me and said, Jeff, why aren't you listening to brother so-and-so anymore? And, of course, when the Lord asks you a question, it's always rhetorical. The answer is in the question. Okay? And I knew what he was saying. And I knew exactly what he meant. When I heard what I heard, without even being aware of it, I ingested it, I digested it, I began to view him through the lens of the evil report, and it cut me off from listening to him. The power of an offended tongue. I found out that the preacher that said that about the other preacher had had an issue with him and had not settled it biblically, So he was carrying a a bitterness against him. And it reached up. It defiled many. It defiled me. And I said, Lord, forgive me. I should never have listened to that. I shouldn't have, uh, you know, put much credit to it. And immediately I got free. And the very next Sunday I was watching him again and being blessed like I used to be. One commentator writes, they, the offended gossiper, wound the reputation of the person of whom the tale is told. And they wound the person to whom it is told and destroy his love and affection for his friend. We have to be so careful what we say about people. 
And all this damage flows from an offended soul. Now, I believe the giant of offense is the number one, the number one weapon against the church today. Churches regularly split over offenses, sometimes crazy offenses, the color of the carpet. They just split. That's why Kathy picks the carpet and I just leave it all alone. Okay? Christian brethren, good friends, lifelong friends, turn against one another over unresolved offenses. Christian families and organizations are divided over unresolved offenses. Marriages are destroyed regularly by the giant of offenses. And all of this while a skeptical world looks on. No wonder Jesus cared about this issue of offense. Are you offended today? Do you have an offense in your heart today? You say, well, yeah. Let me tell you how to disarm it. Because that's a giant. It's a Goliath. You remember Goliath taunted David. He made fun of David's God. He mocked David. He mocked the armies of God. Goliath. And he had the whole army paralyzed by fear. He paralyzed God's people. And that's what giants do. The Lord, the devil can't stop you from being saved now that you're saved. But he can try to paralyze you and stop your effectiveness on earth. And I don't want to see that. Listen, a church that is free of giants, free of offense, is a great weapon in the hands of God. <laughs> Amen. So Jesus told us how to break the lethal grip of the giant of offense. He gave us two ways. One is horizontal toward the offender, and the other is vertical towards God. So first, let me look at the, the, first, the, the horizontal. What do you do when somebody offends you? Jesus said, take it to the offender. He said in Matthew 18, 15, if your brother wrongs you, Go and show him his fault between you and him privately. If he listens to you, you have won back your brother. Now, let me balance this for a second. You remember this counsel came from Jesus. And what was he talking about? Truly offended people. I don't believe that Matthew 18, 15 is meant to apply to every little conflict, every little rift that we have with people. I don't know about you, but if you're living in the real world, you're going to have a little conflict or a little rift with somebody every day. And I don't think he wants, if somebody doesn't say hello to you in the hall when you go by, I don't think he wants you to go to them and say, brother, I need to confront you. (laughs) You know, I'm really hurt. Some people play their violin so much that violin is glued to their shoulder. That's not what he means. I believe, listen to what the Bible says. Good sense makes a man restrain his anger. And it is his glory to overlook. Can everybody say overlook with me? Overlook a transgression or an offense. So a lot of the things, the little rifts, the little conflicts we have with people, are just little gnats flying around your head. It is not a Matthew 18, 15 situation. It is just overlook it. Well, I make mistakes too. Listen, if you can't get this way in marriage, in your marriage, I pray for your marriage. Honey, you really offended me. You didn't clean out that coffee cup. No, just overlook it. Ah, you know, he misses the coffee cups all the time. He leaves his socks on the floor. You know, you know, come on. Life is bigger than socks on the floor. Overlook it. Just overlook it. Be big about it. It's your glory 
to overlook the petty stuff. Okay, just overlook it. Some people live on Petty Street, and they have a mansion in the cul-de-sac of Penny Street. Petty Street. They live there. They're always, oh, you know, poor me. Get over it. Now, here's when you know you're in a Matthew 18, 15, when you cannot get past it. You can't get over it. You can't get around it. You can't get away from it. You can't get through it. It haunts you. It eats at you like acid in your soul. Somebody said something, did something, and it is chewing on you. It is corrosive to your soul. You've tried to shake it. You've tried to fast, pray, name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, get over it. You can't. It's clinging to you. It's an offense. When whatever happened to you has made you trip and fall on the road of your journey, when it is affecting your ability to have a relationship with this person, your spouse, your coworker, your boss, whoever, significant person in your life, when your prayer life is hindered, you're fighting bitterness and your peace is gone. This is when Jesus' advice comes in, take it to the offender. There's nothing more you can do. Now, he gives very clear, simple instructions for confrontation. I'm going to tell you, I don't like confrontation. I will do anything to avoid confrontation. But if I have to confront, I will, if it's going to settle something and set me free. So you can you confront. First, Jesus said, go to them privately. Your offense is not initially for public consumption. It, it is not supposed to be on the 6 o'clock news. It is not supposed to be traveling through the church grapevine, which is the greatest and most effective grapevine on the earth. If you want everybody to know about something, tell a few people in the church. It will move through the whole church in an hour's time. It'll be Facebooked. It'll be tweeted. It will be telephoned. It will be texted. It will be, you know the story. People know about your stuff before you know about your stuff. He said, you keep it. The offense, initially, you keep it confined to the offender and maybe a confidential prayer partner. Maybe just a confidential, hey, you're my prayer partner. You're mature. You can handle this. I'm going to so-and-so to talk to them. The golden rule of offense is this. When you're offended, if somebody is not a part of the problem or a part of the solution, it's none of their business. It's not their business. Oh, Pastor Jeff, I just want to share the burden I want to put a prayer request out there. You know what you mean by that. That's an excuse to go gossip. I know you're not going to be jumping up and shouting me down on this point. That's okay. But, you know, nine times out of ten when somebody calls and says, listen, I don't mean to bother you, but i got a real prayer burden. Did you know that so-and-so, da-da-da-da-da-da-da? If they're not a part of the problem, they're not involved in it, or they're not a part of the solution, they can't fix it, then don't tell them. Now, second, he said, show him his fault. In the original, this reads, reprove or expose his error. That means you sit down with this person and you say, brother, sister, you did this. This is what happened. Now, I'm not here to point a finger at you. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to explain that 
this thing you did or said hurt me. Now, if they're a child of God, if they love the Lord, the Spirit of God is in them, nine times out of ten, they're going to go, gosh, I didn't know I did that, and, and I am so sorry that that hurt you. Please forgive me. I apologize. And you know what happens right then? You have canceled a satanic assignment. Right there. Notice it's been stopped in its tracks before other people know about it, before it becomes a gossip situation in a church. It has been stopped in its tracks. And Jesus said, if he hears you, you've gained your brother. The relationship has been saved. Now, I know what you're thinking, but what if he doesn't want to settle it? Can I give you a newsflash? Some Christians are ornery. Some Christians don't want to fix things. Some Christians don't want to reconcile. So what do you do when somebody says, you know what? If that's what happened to you, I intended to do it. And I wish I'd have done it twice as bad. So see you later. There's the door. Now, if they do that, what do you do? Well, horizontal didn't work. Jesus said, then you take it vertical towards God. Now, let me give you some good news. The good news is forgiveness doesn't require mutual cooperation. Forgiveness doesn't require them being angelic towards you. If somebody doesn't want to reconcile, here's the fact. It takes two to reconcile, but only one to forgive. Isn't that powerful? So you can't control the actions of somebody else, but you can control your own actions. And if they don't want to forgive, they want to walk in bitterness They want their relationship with God affected. That's their business. That's up to them. But you can forgive without their cooperation. Jesus never required reconciliation, but he did require forgiveness. He said, you are to pray this way. Forgive me my debts as I forgive my debtors. Sometimes you can't work it out. It's not possible. Sometimes the person that you need to forgive has died. Do you know what? That you can forgive somebody who has died. You can forgive a parent. You can forgive a person who abused you, who wronged you. You can forgive them in the presence of God without them being there. You don't need mutual cooperation. Maybe the person's out of touch. They've moved away. Or maybe it's even dangerous for you to get in the presence of that person. You can still forgive. You say, well, Pastor Jeff, how do I do that? Because you know what? I don't feel like forgiving. Well, duh. You're mad. You're angry. You're hurt. You're offended. The last thing that's going to wash over you is this incredible desire to forgive somebody. Where are they? I want to hug them. That's not going to happen. Right? You want to do the other. Texas justice. Then forgive them. I forgive you. (laughs) Pow! I forgive you. (laughs) Say, so, so how do I forgive if I don't feel it? It's easy. You don't have to feel it. You only have to obey Jesus who said, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Can I tell you something about life and you and the way that God wired you? We think I've got to feel it to act on it. The fact is, if you act on it, you will feel it. Actions produce 
Feelings. If you're waiting for the feeling to come, you may wait till Jesus comes. Because the feeling, the overwhelming desire to do it, isn't there. But obedience is not based on a feeling. It's based on a decision of your will. And you can decide to do something no matter how you feel. I said on the early service, I said, you know, I woke up this morning and I didn't feel like preaching the early service. I got up and I said, Kathy, I don't feel like preaching the early service. She said, well, guess what? (laughs) You're the preacher. So... So I got up, I obeyed God. Yes, she's right. I'm the preacher. I I got dressed, got ready. And you know what? Now I could preach two more times today. I feel wired to preach right now. (laughs) Feeling follows actions. I'm actually telling you, fake it till you make it. Now, the tool that God has given you to disarm the giant of offense is in between your two sets of teeth. I want everybody to do this with me. Oh, I wish I had a video of that. Tongue talkers, the whole church. Send it out on YouTube. That tongue, listen carefully, that tongue is the most powerful thing in your life. Watch. James said, a person who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. What a statement. By the power of the tongue, we are able to exercise total self-control. Self-control begins and ends with the tongue. So I don't believe that. It's true because the Bible says it's true. James gives us two powerful illustrations. Watch this. He said, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they're so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants it to go. You've got this mighty, snorting, powerful, strong horse, but he is turned by a little bit in his mouth. You've got a ship that is being blown by stormy winds. But the winds don't dictate which direction it goes. The rudder underneath the water you can't even see decides the direction it goes. And James said, so is the tongue. You can be getting blown by the strong winds of your offense, your emotions, your wounded heart. But if you start saying what God wants you to say, You turn the whole ship the direction it should go. You say, well, what do you mean? What should I do? Nike came up with the phrase, just do it. James' phrase is, just say it. What do I say? It won't be easy at first if you're offended. I? forgive them. First time, it's hard because you're going, I'm not letting them off the hook. They deserve my wrath. They deserve the look. If I let them off the hook, nothing's going to happen to them. That's where you're wrong. Because God says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. That's another topic. But what do you have to do to get free? You say, I forgive them. I 
forgive them. And it gets easier. I forgive them. <laughs> I forgive them. I forgive them. And right about then, the giant of offense is going, no, 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 no. Because he sees he's losing the game. I forgive them. Before you know it, you're praying for them. Lord, I pray you make them whole. I pray you lead them into the truth. And before, folks, the giant of offense cannot stand in the presence of the wisdom of God's word. And the wisdom of God's word is that you say it. And as you begin to say it, your ship, though it's being driven by fierce winds, is turned into the peaceful waters, the harbor of forgiveness. And your whole life will line up to what you're saying. Can we stand together today? So when you're offended, what do you do? You take it horizontal to the offender, try to work it out there. Hopefully that works. If that doesn't work, you take it vertical and you forgive with your tongue in the presence of God as many times as you need to say it to get free. Eventually your soul and your life will line up with the words of your mouth, what you're saying. Now I want us to do something today. Can you bow with me for a moment of prayer? Some of you are offended today. And I fully understand that. But that offense doesn't need to rule your life. I want you to just lift your hands up towards the Lord with me for a moment. And I want you to just, let's do a little spiritual exercise. I want you to say with me, Lord Jesus, thank you for forgiving me. I forgive, then you fill in the blank. You fill in the blank. Just say their name or names. I forgive. Can we try it again? I forgive. Say it. Say with me, I release them. I pray for their well-being, for their wholeness, that they will find your will and do it. Now, just praying that is liberating many of you. If you can say, Pastor, I was offended and, and I needed this and I just gave somebody, the Lord a very important name. Let me see your hand. Just raise your hand. I tell you, it's so many of you. God bless you. Now, Lord, I thank you for sealing this. With your heads bowed, you can say, Pastor Jeff, I don't know if I've ever experienced forgiveness in my own heart from Jesus. I don't know if I have a personal relationship with him. And I want to experience that so that the rest of what you've said has meaning for me. I want to experience his forgiveness. Or maybe you've drifted away from him because of an offense. And you need to forgive and come home. If you're in either one of those two categories, would you slip your hand up today? Let me see it. And I'm going to pray with you. God bless you. And you, God bless you, many of you bless you. I want you to do something. Would you please forget about every person in this room? This between with you and me and God, I want you just to slip out and walk down here and stand in front of me today. 
Just slip out and come because I want to pray with you. I want to I meet you and I want to pray with you. Slip out and come because we're going to get free today. Now, I saw many of you raise hands. You say, well, why do I need to come down there? Because as soon as you take a step, it's a step of faith. And God will begin to do something immediately when you take a step. Faith without works is dead. So I want you to come. We're going to sing just a stanza or two, and then we're going to pray together. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Jesus, <clears throat> thank you, Lord. name above all names, beautiful Savior, glorious yes. Lord. There's a nudge on your heart. You need to come down. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. praying with you. God is breaking something and setting you free. And it's happened with many of you out there, but pray this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart and be my savior and Lord guide me. I come home to you today in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.